What a week. Fresh off the heels of the announcement that four key players have re-signed on long-term deals, Sell picked up their second Premiership away win of the season on Saturday, riding a blistering first half to comfortably beat Northampton Saints 35-24 at Franklin's Gardens. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank, and here to revel with me in what has been a glorious week to be a Sell fan is Alex. Alex, how are you doing, mate? I'm very good, mate. It's, it's lovely to watch rugby again. This weekend. Yeah, exactly. It's nice to watch rugby when Sell are playing well and we can actually talk about a win for a change. Obviously, it's been a tough tough run of games, uh, two straight losses in the Premiership, but obviously Sell have turned, turned it around superbly on, on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that it was so unexpected because I was, you know, as I was sat there waiting for the notifications from BBC Sport to come through that we conceded three tries within 10 minutes, it was... It was a welcome change to see that we'd actually scored three, and there we were, miles away at half time. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, use, I use I use the word comfortable uh, a, a bit loosely in, in the podcast introduction here. I always got the sense that with Sale being so comfortably ahead, uh, there was always going to be a resurgence from Northampton. And I was sat on the sofa watching the game live with, with my girlfriend. I said, "This is exactly what Sale do." They pad out a lead, they put themselves in a prime position to win, uh, and then it's just a case of mistake after mistake, and then it snowballs. And I really thought after the, the sort of second yellow card in, the, in that second half, I, I thought this was going to be it. Northampton going to stage a miraculous comeback, turn around their season, and pick us to a top six place. But thankfully, Sam managed to see, see it out, uh, courtesy of three points uh, from Fafta Kirk's boot in the second half. And that was that was it for the, for the last 40, wasn't it? I do have to say, yeah. I, so I watched one half of this game um, live because um, it took a while for my Bet365 account to sort of start up so that I could watch it. Obviously, I watched the second half live. So of the 34 points we scored, I saw three. Um, so, yeah, my second half was immensely frustrating. And I'm sure we'll come on to that later, but I don't want to start off with the negatives. I'll just say what a win it was. That's all I can say. Um, Absolutely, and that vein of positivity seems to be flowing through Sale fans over the weekend and into into the start of this working week. As always, we ask you guys first thing Monday morning for your three word reviews of the weekend's game, and we've got loads, and they're all they're all really positive this week, pretty much. Uh, Jamie says richly deserved win. Nick Fogarty nearly blew it. Joe Russell great away win. Joe Brain fantastic first half. Martin Whiteley Denny for England. Seller uh, boss stiff win dominates. Robin Southern, awesome backline. Uh, we have a couple of these ones now. Jamie McAndrew, Fafter Clerk is God. Uh, De- uh, Denny for England again from Bradley Fleming. Paul Barnes, great confidence boost. Kieran Critchard, perfect first half. And Rugby Marvel, Faf is king once again. I mean, I think they've hit on pretty much all the important talking points. Fafter Clerk is a match God. winner. Denny, yes. Denny Solomona is in, bl- is in yeah. blistering form. Five tries in the last two games. Let's let, let's start with the positives. I mean, what, what, what's the biggest takeaway from you from this game? Is it Solomona's scorching try-scoring form? Or is it, as it is it for me, that combination of De Klerk and Solomona, which is causing you know premiership teams to be run ragged at the moment? Oh, I think I think Solomona coming back to form is the, the story, if, if you were to take a headline away from this. Because... With all due respect to Faf, and this is almost unfair because he's been that good all season that the way he played on the weekend wasn't like, oh, wow, he's amazing again because he's been amazing all season. Um, but Denny has had a bit of a dip and we've mentioned it in the pod and the way he played was just outstanding. He was 
it's just the sort of fear he put into defences that he used to back in back in his sort of first season um, is absolutely inspiring to see as a Sale fan, and it does sort of. There's things about being a Sale fan which are just typical to your experience. One of which is going into a massive half-time lead and having a terrible second half. Um, but Denny is something we have probably not seen since Jason Robinson in terms of a player who you just think he could. And he's very different to Robinson in that he's he's more of a finisher than someone who creates something out of nothing. But wow, some of the some of the things he does is are just you know I don't know how he scores his tries, but. He, he does, and that's the important thing. So, so what's the difference then between Denny in these last couple of games and the Denny that we've seen for the first, say, three, four, five months of the season? And, you know, what's changed? Is it a, a bit of rust coming off, or is it uh, how Sale are adapting their play around Solomon's talents and getting him on? Well, getting him the ball for a change. Um, I, th- I think it's a bit of an upturn in form of the team generally. That's probably seen it. Would be my, I think. There was a big disruption with uh, at fly off with AJ getting injured, which I think Denny's you know had, had lost a bit of form before that. Um, so, but I think the way the team has started gelling a bit more, and we've we've been able to get a little bit more ball, and when we've had it, we've started. So that back line has been very disrupted, and you probably saw a change in our style when Rohan came in, in over the winter period, where we were much more focused on that twelve, and he almost stole the headlines. Um, to an extent, so I think that's probably part of it. That is, Denny doesn't need the ball to go out to the wing in the way that perhaps Josh Charlie does to really bring out the best in him. What Denny needs is the team to have fast attacking ball, and I think we've maybe lacked that for a few weeks. And we've had a couple of wins where we didn't have it, and we've had a, quite a few losses where we really struggle without it. So from my point of view, it's been that 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 whole team performance especially the forwards where we've had that better quality of ball and we haven't given it away as easily that's really really contributed to this his resurgence in form and you know again it's coming back into summer as well i'd hate to feed your saturday afternoon (laughs) adoration but drier ground he's the kind of player he's a rugby league player he's used to playing in the summer maybe there's a bit of that in it as well i would say I was going to say, yeah, so do you think, you talk about sales forwards being able to give that back line better ball. Do you think the slightly harder grounds, the slightly better conditions, obviously it wasn't great at, at Franklin's Gardens on the weekend, but do you think those conditions not only favour sales back line, but favour sales pack as well, allows them to play a bit of more of a mobile game, Get uh, you know, so they spend less time getting dragged into moles and rooks and slowing the play down. Do you, th- do you think that's one of the reasons why we can look at Solomon and Sale's form and, and, and see a, a definite spike in performances? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've been saying it for two years that we're a summer team, haven't you? Um, so, it is, and we're a lightweight pack. We're not a, we're not a grunting pack. In the, it's, we're probably based in the wrong city, to be fair, mate. We need to franchise down to, you know, the south coast or somewhere. But, yeah, we, we are a lightweight pack and we function much better in in dry ground in better handling conditions and you you can see that you know and i think that's the way the game's going as well you look at what teams like newcastle are doing with the artificial pitch and the way their game style is transformed there's not a lot of teams left who are up front grunt and that wins them the game and the teams that are leicester a prime example are now starting to really struggle so 
Um, yeah, I think I think that you are right that our pack and our whole team probably suits that drive where the game. But I'm assuming you've got some um, vindication to to be mentioning about the fact that we are better in uh, in the dry on a Saturday afternoon than we are on a wet Friday night. Well, well, absolutely. I mean, like you said, this is, has been something I've been I've been going on about for a while. Um, and I don't want to get too smug now because there is just one game in the course of a very long season. Um, but I do think... But I was you know, right all along. Uh, but I was right all along. Yeah, let's not forget that. Um, I mean, we're not going to put a bow around this game just yet. Uh, we have, we do, there, there is a lot we want to talk about. However, can, can we sort of summarise the storyline of the game almost in that Sale were able to win because the conditions favoured their lighter, more mobile pack and they were able to get the ball out to their backline better than Northampton did. Or do you think, or, or do you think that's too, too simple of an explanation for the game? Do you think there's something else that we're missing that perhaps you know that perhaps you can shed a little bit more light on? Yeah, I think I agree that that lightweight pack and the way we play our game is was a massive part of it. But I think the Northampton performance was equally woeful in that whole. I mean, we were good for a half and we were absolutely atrocious for a half and I think Northampton were I I said this to people over the weekend that Sale get into these leads and then giving them away and what annoys me more than anything in the world is people whose coverage is oh what a great comeback from Exeter or Saris or whoever it's not a great comeback Sale were just rubbish for a second half and we were again and the only reason we didn't lose that game is because Northampton were in a bit of a bad run of form and couldn't convert. So I think a lot of it is down to that. But I do think you have to say at half-time, we had blown them away. And that half of rugby is a really positive future for sale. The second half is a massive lesson in you've got to be on it. You can't, you've never won the game. And stop doing stupid things, but we'll come on to that. But yeah, I think... There's something to be said for the summer rugby, um, and but we've got to, what we've got to accept as a team and a club is that the game isn't played over summer; it's played over winter. So we've got to be able to adapt in that middle period going forward. Okay, I'm going to give you a choice here. We can either talk about that scintillating first half of rugby and stay positive, or we can go on to that slightly more negative second half in which you, you sort of spoke about sales litany of errors. Which one do you want to discuss first? Should we dissect the first half, or should we uh, focus on the negatives first to get them out of the way? No, let's do the first half. Let's keep it positive for as long as possible. Okay, so I'm going to throw throw uh, throw an idea out there for you. Are Faf de Klerk and Denny Solomona one of the five most potent combinations in the Premier League. Premiership, I should say. Because I think, you know, it isn't characteristic, you know, a a scrum half and a winger, usually you're looking at maybe a centre and a a winger or or a scrum half and a a fly half. But I think you look at Sale's tries and you look at the way Sale play, especially without McGinsey, De Klerk taking on a lot of that playmaking duty, even as a scrum half. And then you look at Solomon's tries. De Klerk's, uh, you know, De Klerk feeds him uh, the ball for his first try. The second try, De Klerk plays a big part in that, that sweeping counter attack move. Then, obviously, for the third try, where Solomon is easiest strolling in the world, it's again because De Klerk is is he's got his heads up, he's being aware, and he gives Solomon a very easy pass. And it's not obviously just Solomon. We've seen it with McGuigan, we've seen it with Yard. De Klerk is obviously a player who likes to bring his wingers into play, and is obviously seems to operate better 
as that first as that first pass really for for those those sort of counter attack or or you know pre planned moves. He doesn't seem to fo- he doesn't seem to perform as well when he's the one handing the ball off to McGinty to give to Yard on on the inside ball or whatever. It seems to be De Klerk is most comfortable taking the ball to the line uh, and and then handing it off. But I'm looking at you know how Sale played on on Saturday and how they beat Northampton and so all of Solomon's tries and how important De Klerk was in all of them. Do you, do you think there is something to be said that De, this did did so. The resurgence in Solomona and Yard's form to an extent is only going to benefit De Klerk because he knows he has those players who can finish the ball off on on his uh, on his inside shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and vice versa that you know their increase in form is going to benefit De Klerk, but also De Klerk's talent is going to benefit them. And you do have to say that you know Solomona is one of Solomona and De Klerk are arguably two of the biggest talents in the Premiership. You know, not looking away from. Club, you know, teamwork and all that. Just Pure individual talent. player talents. They are incredible players, each in their own way. And Yard, to an extent, has got so much potential in that field. You know, he's an England international, and he offers something different to. And I think even the current England wingers, he offers something a very different style of play. Um, so those, and what I think what you've seen from De Klerk and Solomona is two players who are just electric in their approach to the game and the fact that they've gelled is fantastic and I think we almost sort of hope that would be De Klerk and O'Connor yeah. and it is as you say it's quite it's it's interesting that it's ended up being De Klerk and Solomona to an extent and they have you know you, you, we'll look back at the end of the season I'm sure and look at the tries they've created together and how important they've been you know the, the chips over the top from De Klerk the way he attacks the line and hands it off to Solomona but against Bath for example Um you know, they just they are two outstanding players, and the fact they've gelled so well is great news for Sale, I think. And you know, with McGinty being signed up long term, which we'll talk about later, we've got a steady hand at ten and just electric scrum halves and wingers, and we are well on our way to becoming a really impressive team overall. And you know, hopefully, what you'll see now is our we've always been able to get those good players in, and I think with with the takeover and everything, we should be able to keep hold of them now, which is something we've struggled with when you look in the past, you know, the past sort of players who've come to us and have left for pastures new. So it is hugely exciting to say, fan, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about McGinty uh, and the others who've re-signed uh, later on in the podcast. Um, but I think it's really interesting as well is that Sale have obviously made this this long-term commitment to McGinty. And I think it's a great piece of business for a lot of reasons. But I think it helps that McGinty isn't necessarily the bold, dominant fly half that previous Sale fly halves have been. And that's why he sort of has seemed to gel better with the clerk than someone like O'Connor has. Because I think you look at the way McGinty plays... He doesn't necessarily. He isn't necessarily Danny Cipriani, where his biggest impact on the game is coming from what he is doing with with ball in hand or when he's kicking out of hand, for example. McGinty is someone who's happy to step back, play the sort of field marshal role, and let the more creative players around him link up and and, and play in front of him, really. And I think that's why McGinty is such a great fit in this current sale team because, as you said, De Klerk and Solomona are just so electric in, in being able to sort of conjure things out uh, conjure things out of nothing themselves. Um, but obviously it was a great team, but we know we shouldn't focus on just those two players. It was a great team performance from Sale, especially in the first half. Are there any other players that you think deserve, uh, deserve special mention? Um, I'm going to bring one in, having looked at the stats, and I will bed this in as we go. But Cam Neal played 39 minutes in this game 
and made 21 tackles. That's impressive. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's just bordering on inhuman. So what does that, what is that, so do some very simple maths for me. What does that extrapolate to over the course of 18 minutes? That's over 40 tackles, isn't it? Yeah, it is, that is nuts. So he's making, oh, let's have a look. Over 18 minutes, 43 tackles, that is. It's just ridiculous. Um, and probably reflective of a game where we didn't have a lot of the ball. Um, which, again, we'll come on to later. Um, players that impressed, I think you've got to look at Faf. You've, I think Will Addison had a good game, but a good first half. Um, there were a lot of players who had a really good first half. Um, Yard had a good first half. Luke James, I thought, looked really impressive, especially yeah, second half. When we came under the cosh, I don't know what you thought about this, but I just thought he looked so much more mature than he than his appearances would suggest. Oh yeah, de- definitely. Just just from the sort of very basic eye test that, that I'm doing watching the game at home, you forget he's sort of, you know, 18, 19, he's, his body is, is probably still very underdeveloped for what he's going to become as a, as a professional rugby player. And what has impressed me most about James is that he's just such a smart tackler. You know, it's not necessarily something we, we talk about a lot um, for, for players who play the inside centre position, but I noticed... When the ball gets moved wide, he was a very effective cover defender in working with Solomonas to drag some players out. But he's also able to stand up his man when they run down that 10-12 that channel. And he's he's not getting, you know, absolutely demolished because he's going too high on, on Northampton's big ball carriers. He's, you know, he's, he's making the right decision every single time. And look, I don't have any you know statistics to particularly back that up. But from what I've seen from James is that he, although his, his role in, in, in sales attack is, is understandably quite muted at the moment, He's making all the right decisions when he's when he's forced to, uh, especially in defence. And I think that bodes very well for for a player to bed into a sale attack that, as we've just mentioned, doesn't necessarily need more playmakers. It needs steady, responsible players that can be counted on when when Sal don't have the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Twelve tackles uh, he made in the game, which is a pretty good return. Second most for the backs, apart from Addison, who made 14. So, And he had a success rate of 92%. So he only missed one tackle and he won a turnover. So just he's just a solid player, isn't he? I think when you look at him, you just you, you do forget how young and inexperienced he is because he's so, he looks dependable and reliable. And it's good to have... I think he's a slightly different option at 12. To, well, he's very different to Jennings in the way he plays. But he's also... You know, it's, it's good to have... He's, he's almost coming made made that 12 position less of a headache for the coaches because yeah. he's he's really bedded in well and we have not we, with him and the team we have not looked a worse team at all in no. fact in some respects we've looked better and you know with when we had Rohan in we were kind of looking to him to, to create stuff whereas with James I think he has benefited from the fact that the clerk Solomon picked up in form and they're making it and all he has to do is go out and perform and he, he's doing exactly what he needs to do for the team at the moment and it is and you know that's not um, that's not saying he's he's doing as well as he should be he's doing way better than he should be absolutely sure um, but I think it's good for sale that it's ha- he's coming to the team at a time when you've got electric players really like the game outside of uh, what we we maligned Sale a lot last week for the lack of a, of a replacement bench. So let's move on to the second half now. Obviously, it's a very different state of affairs. Sale lose the second half nineteen three. It's only really because of some superb defensive uh, stands on the goal line and the fact that Northampton 
can't really buy a win at the moment. That sale were ultimately able to prevail on on Saturday. Um, first thing I want to ask you about is we maligned sell a lot for the lack of replacement usage last week. Do you think that improved this week? Because I think I think you only have to look at the amount of substitutions actually made to see that Seller actually using the bench a little bit better. And we saw a little bit of faith being put into to some players who previously struggled to get a look in the Premiership level. Um, I think it improved, but it couldn't really have got any worse. <laughs> um, so when you look at the the bench... I've got, I've got it on now. It was uh, Mark Jones, James Flynn, Harney Alika, Josh Beaumont, Cameron Neal, Will, Gli- Will Cliff, Barry McGuigan and Josh Charnley. Yeah, so McGuigan and Charlie didn't make it on, nor did Flynn. Everyone else got on some game time. Um, I don't know whether those of you who follow us on Twitter will have seen my new improved start, BIPT, bench and play time. Um, 106 minutes for sale this week. Um, for Northampton, it was 276, but that's massively skewed by the fact Patterson came on for day after Two minutes, minutes, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and Jamie Gibson came on after eight minutes for Tom Wood. Um, which I didn't see because I didn't watch the first half. Do we know what happened there? Was that just another um, injury, I assume? Yes, yeah, it was. Um, so, and then some, you know, probably uh, taking those two out, it's fairly, fairly matched up. I just think Sale's issue is that, and we brought Cliff on for 15 minutes, we didn't bring anyone on the backs. Um, and watching the game, so... I'll come back to stats in a minute, but just the two incidents in this second half that massively frustrated me and typified Sale. One was when, and we had a penalty advantage, so nothing came of it, but we were we conceded two tries already. We were on the ropes, we were really looking, like we were struggling. Andre Ostrakov picks up a loose ball that's bobbled around and decides to try and throw the most outrageous pass off the floor to Bryn Evans, who's not a two-on-two. Two. It's not even like we would have scored a try. It was just... And Reinach intercepts it and would have gone and scored had the ref not called it back for the penalty advantage, which I'm convinced Ostrakov did not know about. So that's just sort of... head. You could see the heads had gone and throughout that whole second half we just looked like we could not handle the pressure. Well, it, was, the it, was, it was mistake after mistake, wasn't it? This is, this is what I was saying yeah. before. It was You got the sense that as soon as Sale conceded one try they would concede another or if they didn't yep. concede a try, they'd you know make a poor decision with the ball or get themselves in trouble uh, in terms of discipline. And I remember, actually, it was just after Northampton had scored the second try to bring the game to 35-24. From the restart, I, I might be stepping on your toes here, um, but Sam James kicks the ball straight out from the restart. Oh, and it's, yeah, I about that. One, one of the most amazing things with, with, with restarts in, in professional rugby is that all you need to do is kick it into the 22 and you know what all the team is, is usually going to do is kick the ball back, not even to the halfway line because most, most of the time they, they struggle to get there. So all you need to do is kick it long and straight, straight down the middle. And I, I understood what James was going for, but I think kicking the ball straight out from a restart after you've just conceded two tries is indicative of Sales' lack of, not necessarily leadership, but just lack of composure under pressure. And it's something that seems to infect the entire team, whether it's yep. Mike Haley tripping a player up for no real reason, whether it's, uh, you know, Andre Ostrakov throwing, you know, backhanded passes off the floor. It just seems to, you know, pervade through the entire team. And, and it does make you, it, it's no wonder that we are, are sat there with a 20-point lead thinking Sale are going to lose this because it just seems to be, Something that's that's in, systemic within the team. It absolutely does, not that Mike Haley yellow card was one of the. Um, I, I love that Brian Moore always calls these incidents dull. 
as in just dull thinking and it was just you what what annoyed me even more was the club's Twitter feed saying I can't believe he's been sent off for that. Oh, it's <laughs> yeah, ridiculous I can because he's stuck his leg out and tripped up the scrum off as he's clear through. It, and we had people covering, and it is just and like that's not Mike Haley being a bad player or making a you know or doing something typical of him. That is Sale with the lead having the mental capacity or total lack of mental capacity in fact to be able to deal with that pressure and expectation and. At half-time, you know Northampton are going to go in and they're going to have a rollick in from the coach and they're going to come out fast. And instead of being set up to deal with that and get down into their end and just nullify that for five, ten minutes, our defence, which our defence is good enough to do, we've seen that from multiple games, that our defence is a high-quality defence, one of the best in the league, arguably. We Instead, we just completely lose our head and concede a try and concede another try and the crowd gets on their... Well, behind their team and on our back, and you just think, oh, it was it was one of the most stressful halves of rugby I've had to watch all season for that exact reason. No, absolutely. So anyway, tell tell us about your your second moment, second key moment. That, that was Mike Haley. Mike Haley trip thing. was typical of of just oh, lunacy, absolute lunacy. Anything to say uh, on the on the John Ross yellow card? I mean, it's persistent infringements for for being offside. I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty far. really work it out. I think probably not Not John O'Ross's fault, just, uh, again, a, a sale, going back to old ways of conceding penalties. I mean, I, I understood why it was given. I thought it was perhaps a tad harsh, but it, if I was on the other side, I wouldn't be, you know. Of course. I, it, it was... It was entirely justified and can be entirely justified as a sale fan I was thinking why are you doing this to us but as a as a rugby fan and a supporter of referees especially when they're getting blasted from all sides probably the right decision in the context of the game um, sale have only got themselves to blame for that it's just um, we make some incredibly stupid decisions and I might have to start tallying up a list towards the end of the season but TJ Ioane's diving against Exeter still gives me nightmares and some of the decisions again in that second half against Northampton will get forgotten and that is the thing they will get forgotten because everyone will go oh what a great win and that is part of the issue with the management of the club at the moment that losses are not mentioned wins are yeah. completely passed over all the cracks but let's not go into that I know, but, yeah. it, it is amazing and it is amazing how off the back of a five point win we're still here having to complain and maybe that says more about us than it does about the club but I think we do have to look at this, you know, we look at it in a vacuum and say this was a pretty Jack- Jekyll and Hyde performance. You know, yeah. we, we saw Sale at their absolute best and at their absolute worst. And I, and I think, you know, the, 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 the truth in the cold light of day is that if we were playing Newcastle or, or Wasps or somebody else at home, that we probably would have lost that game. You know, it's the fact that Northampton are, are absolutely, you know, the confidence in that team is absolutely rock bottom at the moment. And they don't, they, you know, they didn't look like a team that was going to be able to pull out a win in the dying moments in the way that, say, Exeter or or a Newcastle who are playing with, with loads of confidence at the moment would. Um, yeah. But I, we, we shouldn't focus too much on the negatives. At the end exactly. of the day, it's a five-point win. Uh, so five-point win. well back into contention for the top six, which I'm going to touch on in a, in a moment. Last thing for me, one really big positive, um, is, is practically it's kicking again. I mean, I know, we, I know we've just been waxing lyrical about him uh, and his playmaking ability, in the last few minutes, um, but I think you know we should probably reserve special mention for for the work John Collard has has done with 
all of the kickers at Sale since since he joined the club uh, midway through last season. I mean, watching De Klerk's kicking from the start of the season to now, he missed a pretty easy one, which is frustrating. But then he did also nail two or three touchline conversions. So you've got to take the good with the bad. And at the end of the day, he kicked five or six for uh, 18 points overall. And I think it's... I, I'm... Give me AJ McGinty. Give me the Premiership's what is it? The Premiership's best ever kicker historically. Yes, basically um, that's that's. Well, stat we tweeted out this week. It was tweeted to us, wasn't it? Yeah. Or tweeted generally. Tweeted by the club after being um, uh, okay. prompted by Opta. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm always going to say you know we should we should be dependent on McGinty kicking rather than De Klerk. But I think you look at another performance like this in a vacuum compared to what he did uh, last week as well. Overall, the Kurt's kicking has come on leaps and bounds, and if nothing else, that is a really solid option to have. Uh, you know, I feel I feel a lot more comfortable with the Clerk being the primary uh, goal taker now than than I was even even two or three weeks ago. You can see the improvement, a bit like Will John in the scrum. You can see the improvement week on week, and it is to the point now where I, I think Seller are a much better team than McGinty. It, it, you know, in the starting lineup, but I'm a lot less reserved about the Clerk handling goal-kicking duties now because of performances like this. Absolutely, and I think what, I mean, we said last week and criticised the club for not having a backup kicker, um, but the thing with De Klerk's kicking is that there are issues, but they are really easy fixes because he missed one kick in this game, and it was from basically in front of the post. Yeah. And as much as in a tense game that would be uh, we can't be afford to miss those types of kicks and in the bath game that was what cost us at the same time if we'd had another kicker on if we'd had Joe Ford on from last season you probably wouldn't have made the touchline kicks so no. we'd have you know we'd have we'd have lost more points from having a slightly more you know reliable kicker in the middle of the field who doesn't quite have the mercurial ability of faff out wide so yeah, I think you know that is it's a massive positive to take away from what has been probably one of the signings of sales history in fact. Absolutely, work, yeah. Which we we said at the time, you know, well you've said especially that he probably is the most exciting signing um, from your point of view. I remember you saying that, and he's just proven a week in week out that it's ridiculously good and a massive loss for South African rugby and an absolutely huge game for Sale. No, absolutely. Well, I I, said, I remember saying at the start of the season, players of De Klerk's calibre, even with all the other signings that Seller made, Ross Strauss, etc., it's going to be the De Klerk that pushes them from a from a, a lower mid-table team into back into the top six. Uh, and speaking of that, I mean, let's just have a quick look at the table. Sales' win has pushed them right back into contention uh, after a couple of weeks sort of languishing in, in that sort of lower mid-table. So it doesn't make, necessarily make for the prettiest reading at the moment. They sale currently sit eighth with forty three points off seventeen games. But you look who's ahead of them in the table: Bath are seventh on forty five points, Gloucester sixth on forty six points, Leicester fifth on forty seven points, and even Newcastle in fourth uh, are only uh, seven points ahead of Sale, sitting on on fifty. I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But is the top six back on? Um. To a point. Can I just say the top four isn't on? Absolutely not. Let's throw away all mention of the top four. It's not happened in a million years. Well, this season. (laughs) Top six is on to the point that it could happen if results go our way and we perform really, really well. But I think you look at our fixtures remaining 
Um, and um, I think the Worcester game is a win. And I'm not sure any of the others are. I think we've got Wasps at home. I, I think we'll win that, but it's not guaranteed. Leicester at home, same. I think we'll probably lose that, but we could win it. Um, and then we're away at Newcastle, which is a massively tough game and most probably a loss. And then away at Exeter, which will be a loss. Um, I think, is that the five we've got left? Yeah, so, the, so Sale's final five games of the season uh, in the Premiership. Uh, Worcester at home in three weeks. Wasps at home the following week. Newcastle Falcons away and then two weeks after that you have Exeter Chiefs away and then you self finish the season at home to Leicester uh, at the start of May yeah I mean I think I'm a little bit more bullish about sales chances in that Leicester game to end the season um, and I think Sale I've historically had a pretty good record at home to to, uh, to Wasps Yeah. so I could definitely I could easily see Sale you know winning the last three home games of the season but I think it is a pretty clear divide Sale have a good chance in their home games at the AJ Bell to finish finish uh, finish this year but I think you know Newcastle look a very very good team especially away especially on the artificial pitch and obviously Exeter are the reigning champions who's just knocked off Saracens as well so going away to Sandy Park is going to be difficult at, at the best of times so I think it's I think it's a pretty clear divide but the, the problem is obviously there are still even if Sale are to get into the top top six there are easily three probably four other teams who are going to be right there with them. Someone's going to take that top four spot, obviously, but it does leave Sale with a lot of ground to catch up, especially because with how small the Premiership is, you know, if Gloucester and Bath lose one week, that usually means that Leicester and Newcastle have picked up some points because the teams are always playing against each other. So it's going to be really difficult. I I mean, I I agree. I think top four's off, but I think Sale are going to be hanging around in the top six for the end of the season. It's just whether or not we can get a little bit more magic from De Klerk and O'Connor to push them into uh, into that next echelon in the, in the table. Uh, yeah, we might get to seventh as well and end up in a playoff. Um, is that still happening this season? I can't, I, I can't remember. New they've, format. They've, they've changed it a couple of times, haven't they? Because it used to be the there's something to do with the Romanian and Spanish teams in the, um, Challenge, Cup. In the Challenge Cup. I'm not sure whether or not they're still... I don't. I think I'm pretty sure they've scrapped that and just given Russia two permanent spots in that tournament. So I don't know whether or not they've also done away with the playoff in the Challenge Cup as well. I don't yeah. know. Sorry, in the Champions Cup. I don't know how the changes in the Challenge Cup have affected qualification for the Champions Cup because it might just be a more even split, especially now that uh, the Pro 12 is now the Pro 14. Yes. Yeah. It could be absolutely anything, and probably not something that is worth even trying to consider. Um, should we do some stats quickly before we go into yeah. other admin news? Let's let's um, let's let's tie a bow on on, on this Northampton game. Yes. Yeah, so to to wrap it up in the form of numbers, um, good stuff first. Sale made two hundred twenty eight tackles this week. Uh, tackle completion rate ninety six percent. Uh, sorry, not 96, 90%. Um, some incredible performances. Ross Harrison, 23 tackles, non-missed. What a boy. Um, Will Griff, John, 22, non-missed. Another week of not missing a tackle. That boy is something else. Uh, Ostrikov, 23 tackles, non-missed. Uh, Josh Strauss, 24 tackles. Josh Strauss. I'm just going to check. Yeah, definitely. Josh Strauss, 24 tackles, which is probably as many as he's made in the last five games combined. Um as I mentioned before, Cam Neal with 21, that is an absolutely outstanding figure and should be rightly applauded. 
Um, that is compared to Northampton's tackles of 83. So wow. um, that probably will uh, make more sense when I say that Sale had 33% of territory and 32% of possession. Is that is that <laughs> just skewed because of the first half, second half contrast? Or is it just because Sale was so good at scoring their tries on the counter-attack? Possession-wise, um, let's have a look. I don't know whether I've got a breakdown by half. Um no, I don't think I have. Um, so I'm not sure. But what I do know is we didn't turn over the ball as much. Northampton conceded 13 turnovers and we only conceded seven. So we didn't actually give the ball up. It's probably more that we just kicked the ball away um, and Northampton ended up reaping the rewards in all, to all intents and purposes. I mean, when you look at our possession, 7% of Northampton's ending a try, 11% of ours ending in a try. We kicked away 48, 46% of it, sorry. Northampton only kicked away 24%, so they were playing much more with the ball in hand. Um, but then 24% of their possession ended in the turnover. So I said last week that we turned over the ball too much. So we didn't turn over the ball as much this week, but we still haven't got any bloody ball. Um, so... I don't even know. I don't know what we can do. It's a weird one because the possession and territory stats would indicate that it's a bit. It's been a bit of a smashing grab, but Sale scored. It didn't look like that at all, did it? No, Sale Sale scored four tries and and were sort of kind of comfortable winners. They they sort of they did everything yeah. that we've been asking them to do since they started the season in the current format that that, that they have. We said Sale are, are, are an attacking team. They have a better backline than they do a forward pack. And you, what you want to see them is capitalising on other teams' mistakes, counter-attacking, scoring tries, and using their, their pretty rigid defensive structure to just hold teams out. And Sale did exactly that on Saturday, but it still feels like we gave the ball away too much. Can we can <laughs> well, we, can we have it both ways? Um, no, we probably will never be happy, mate. As a podcast, no. we'll always, we'll, there'll always be something to complain about. Uh, we conceded 16 penalties, that's the other thing. So Northampton ended up retaining possession um, through those penalties that we gave away. Five of them for offside, which is just bloody... I mean, I complained last week that we gave away too many turnovers and I can't then complain this week that oh, we didn't go give away many turnovers. We gave away a load of penalties instead because um, our dis- discipline this season has generally been much, much better than seasons past and probably in line with um, what Steve Diamond said at the start of the season that the law changes would benefit us so I mean it's just a very odd it's an odd thing as a sale fan isn't it you sort of you the team is very good in various areas each week but it's very rare that we manage to bring all of that together but um, I mean get used to it that's the way life's going to be for <laughs> the rest of your life as a sale fan Um in other good news, we won all of our lineouts, and I'm just going to check this, but I can't remember us losing a scrum. Uh, yeah, 100% on scrums as well. So it's been, stats-wise, it's been a, another week of, it's always been a Gloucester of, scored a load of points, had a terrible stats record in terms of possession and territory, but made our tackles, took our chances when we need to. Uh, you look at, as I said last week, um, Bath had all the top carriers and none of the top tacklers. Exactly the same this week. Yeah. Um, all the top carriers are Northampton players. None of the top tacklers are. Meters-wise, Denny made 60. Mike Haley made 46. Um, 
So it's all this. It's been a strange one. I was I was expecting to see these massive carry figures, but actually, we didn't really seem to make any ground. And I think um, I, don't, I, don't, I can't explain that. I don't know whether you've got an explanation for that. But as a team, we made two hundred and sixty-three meters, Northampton's four hundred and forty-six. So, and we made that up seventy carries to their one hundred and sixty-seven. So. They were as incisive as us compared to last week, where Bath were much less incisive than us. So I can't really. When I watch the game, you watch the highlights and you see us make these fantastic breaks. Um, Denny's second try, Marlon Yards. I suppose Marlon Yard wasn't carrying the ball for his his tries. Maybe that's what part of the issue. Yeah, does does Optum provide a stat for meters gained from meters gained through chipping it ahead? Yeah, or keep your uppies. Yeah, yeah, if only, if only. But um, I don't know whether you remember this, but I remember Mark Quayto playing for England once. I think it was against Argentina at Old Trafford. And there being a cross kick that he couldn't quite reach, so instead of trying to catch it, he volleyed it forwards and Dylan Armitage scored. If you're at home, go and find that. I'll find that on YouTube and tweet it out. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but clearly a sales speciality to chip the ball ahead and score tries from it. Byron McGuigan is... A particular proponent of that, as we'll remember from his Scotland performances. Um, but yeah, so just to sum up stats wise quickly, and I'll probably throw out a few more in the week, um, as I did last week. It looks bloody terrible, and the fact that we're really good defensively, uh, completely not in line with the, the overall result. So, you know what? If, I if, don't even know what to go say from there. I know, I know, I know it's a cliche, but I guess the the only the only numbers that matter really at the end of the day are the points on the board, and, and even if Sale aren't necessarily dominating from a statistical perspective, at the end of the day they scored four tries and won the game. So, kind of ha- finding it hard to to complain too much. And we've got. We've got... I, I think we should be very positive this week. I think uh, there are areas to work on, but overall. Great week for Southampton. Absolutely, and and one of the reasons why it's been such a good week for Sale is this uh, gluttony of playing news that sort of sort of emerged out of nowhere without much warning at all. We have some brand new resignings to discuss. I mean, okay, let's play a game, Alex. There's been four this week, four huge resignings of key squad members for Sale Sharks: Ross Harrison, which occurred just a few minutes before we came came on air. Denny Solomona, Byron McGuigan, and AJ McGinty. If you could only pick one of those players to resign to the term that they have, who who would you have uh, who would you have chosen? Who is the most important of those four resignings that, that has been announced in the past week? Oh, um, since James isn't with us, can I provide his answer before I find mine? Because I know what James's will be. It'll be Ross Harrison. Of course, he'll be absolutely ecstatic. He'll be over the moon. He'll be. I would say. <laughs> He's not very well today, so he's, he won't be dancing around his living room, but he probably will be dancing around his living room in his head. Um, so I won't take that off, James. Out of those four, um, oh, he's so tough, isn't it? Because they are four incredible players. Um, in the current context, so short term, AJ McGinty. Absolutely. Yep. He's, he's the biggest need. is the, you know, the, the sort of player who is going to glue our side together, will be a massive linchpin, and is just an absolutely quality player as well, and only getting better. Long term, I think there is something to be said for Byron McGuigan as a statement of intent from the club, because in the past, when we had players who went on to perform really well at international level, which McGuigan has done, and he's lighting up the league, and 
what would have happened in the past is a club like Exeter or Leicester would have come in and gone for him and taken him away. And the fact that we managed to re-sign him, and I mean, this is, as, as I say, all four absolutely men's signings, but I just think there was something, you can see that change in the club where previously we might have let that kind of player get away. You know, we had players who had great seasons and then moved away from the club, Tommy Taylor being the prime example. And what we've done is we've got a player who's had a great season, he's got into international, he's in demand, and players will be coming in for him. And through a combination of team culture and a bit more financial backing, we've been able to keep him. So, um, out of the four, with James taking Ross Harrison and you inevitably taking our illustrious fly half, I'm going to say Byron McGuigan. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because... Because you love AJ McGinty. Well, yeah, my, 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 heart, my heart says AJ McGinty. My head says Ross Harrison. Um, but there's definitely something to be said about Denny Solomona and, and Byron McGregor. They're very, they're very sexy signings, you know. We've got a, <laughs> we've got a lot of talent. It's always our... the one, lads. <laughs> Listen to the podcast. Well, it's there's a lot of talent on sales wings already, and there's a lot of attacking stars. De Klerk, O'Connor, etc. But l- l- let's be frank here. No one is probably coming down to the AJ Val on a, on a drizzly Friday night to see Ross, Harrigan's, Ross Harrison scrubbage for 76 minutes. Solomona and McGuigan, obviously, with, with, with his international recognition, they are sexy signings. They are the sort of players who bring fans out because you know what they're capable of. You know, you look at the try Solomona has been scoring recently. They're not all necessarily just just his individual will, but he's the sort of player who gets the ball and there's a, there's a buzz of anticipation around the crowd. I, I said it about De Klerk and a few others over the course of the season, but short of re-signing De Klerk to a new deal six months after he's joined the club for the first time, the, 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 yeah, there's there's not really much there's not really much that can be done apart from re-signing the players who you brought in have proven particularly adept at generating offense. To borrow, to borrow an Americanism, score tries, make highlight real players, get on BT Sports Twitter feed, you know, with the little highlight packages. That's exactly the sort of thing they'll need, you know, if they're going to continue to grow as a team and as a club. And I, I've got on about this ad nauseum. Sale needs to play to their strengths, needs to throw the ball around, needs to make play entertaining rugby. Not only because it's how they're best fitted to play, but if you if you're going to try and compete with Manchester City and Manchester United and all the other sports that are in the area, you have to have a spectacle. You have to have an entertainment factor to your team. No one wants to come out to watch Sale beat Exeter 6-3 on a miserable Friday night. You have to come out and play attacking rugby and play with intent and score four tries. Absolutely. And I think it's when you, you talk about you know growing the... You're attracting people in through the things like BT Sport and all that kind of thing. But also... You know, when when me and you, ordinary fans, bring people to games, you've got to try and generate that excitement and that love for the game. And you know, I, I mean, I go back to personal experience on this one. But I took my girlfriend to her first ever sale game, and she's attended three rugby games in her life. And I think I've mentioned this before. One yeah, was forty-four yeah. forty. One was thirty-one thirty. And then I took her to sale six exits to ten. One of the worst games of rugby I've ever watched, and I've watched quite a lot. So it's about getting those people back in, and luckily she still wants to come because clearly, you know, now she's deluded into thinking that it might be good. But you've got to attract that kind of fan, that sort of marginal fan, back in. And you know, Dennis Solomona, 
is exactly of those four. You've got to say that the one who's going to bring fans into the ground is Denis Solomona, without question. And it is also a bit about you know the the way he came over from league, and there's a little bit of controversy and a little bit of you know a bit Edge. of story behind it. And it's the same thing that Cipriani does. A bit of celebrity and something that James O'Connor has uh, surprisingly managed to avoid is you know getting caught up in the press in Manchester. So it's been that you know that that kind of as you say. Sexy rugby, and you know, it brings a bit of flair to the club as well. You know, that's what why do you think Wasps get such a big crowd after moving from High Wickham? It's because they've got players like LaRue, Beale, Cipriani, it's only that sort of player who just light up a game and are worth coming to watch. So it is, it is so important to keep players like that around. And I just, out of the four, you know, we talk about who's been the best, I think they all bring something very different to the team. AJ brings stability, quality and experience and stability in a position we need it. Denny brings just pure try-scoring talent and that celebrity. Byron McGuigan brings a really reliable presence on the wing who can score from anywhere and you know can score big tries in big games. And Ross Harrison brings... Stability. Well, he's our only tight-head. Um, do I mean tight-head? Loosehead. He's our only loosehead in the squad virtually. You know, like James Flynn didn't get on at the weekend again. He's, he's, yeah, he is a machine and a mountain, and the fact that we've signed him up is is absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure when James returns, he'll be um, he'll be singing his praises once more. So I've got a question I want to want to ask you. For those of you who are not aware of the players who have re-signed in the last week, only only AJ McGinty was out of contract at the end of the season. Ross Harrison. His deal uh, was due to expire at the end of the 2019-20 season, I believe. Barry McGuigan had uh, a, a year left after this one, and Denny Solomona uh, likewise. It's obvious that Sale are rewarding players who perform well for the club, and, and that reward would both be you know, a, a financial one and obviously a, a, a stated commitment to the to the player as, as a building block for Sale, but... Alex, why do you think this is happening now? Why, why are we suddenly giving Ross Harrison a, a, a new bumper four-year deal when he's already got two years left to run? This is obviously a, a, a marked departure from Sale of Old, who would obviously only try and sign players when, when they absolutely had to because of the financial constraints on the club. But do you think there's anything more to look into here as to why Sale are, are looking to preemptively get out in front of a potential Solomona contract saga and, and, and pen, in, you know, pen into a new deal for another three or four seasons? I think it's a combination of a couple of things. One of them is that Simon Orange has got money to to throw around, and will is and uh, uh, that's sorry, that sounds sort of a bit snarky. It's not not like that. Simon Orange is putting a load of cash into the club, and, has, and the club as a result has got money, and it just makes sense to sign up these four players. I mean, if you know, we if we didn't know that these four contract signings were coming, but if we had it done and we said right, we've got four signings, who do you pick? I'm not sure there would have been many other players that have been tying, you know, out of the whole squad. Maybe only Bryn Evans is really, you know, the only other one who you'd be thinking we absolutely have to have that player on a longer term contract. Um, so there's part of that, and then I think there's also a bit of you've said it for many years that our marketing department has been of questionable um, timing ability content etc I think there's a bit of marketing and I think Ben from Opta tweeted us this in the week that it was a bit of a shit sandwich that you know you throw out um, McGinty, Solomona 
McGuigan, Harrison, everyone goes nuts. And it has worked because we haven't talked about Mike Haley going to Munster once. <laughs> so I think there's a bit of that as well, a bit of canny sort of, you know, maybe it was, yeah, obviously, you don't go you don't go and give Ross Harrison, you know, a four-year deal because Mike Haley's off to Munster and you need a bit of good PR. But I do think it's been, it's been done very well by Sale. And equally, the Mike Haley departure has been handled Excellently for the club, considering how we've handled things in the past. I think it's been it's been clear. There wasn't a lot of speculation. There's a bit for like a week beforehand, but you know it was done. It was you know it's all been done on good terms. It's been done with good reason. The club hasn't you know. You look at compare that to Ross Moriarty leaving Gloucester and the sort of yeah absolute shit show that's gone on there. It's been it's been a really nice experience as a sale fan to have a player leave the club and it's been pleasant but I think it is worth remembering with, with the Mike Haley departure which we'll touch upon a little bit more in a, in a moment that Haley was another player who had multiple years left to run on his deal I believe his contract was up at the end of the 2018-19 season so Sale would only really be able to he would only be able to leave the club if Sale agreed to it which I think is a massive part of, of Sale being so amicable about Haley's impending departure because if they really didn't want him or need him to go, then they wouldn't have let it happen. And I think because of that, because Sale have known that, okay, we, we're the ones who made the conscious decision, there's a little bit of less bad blood about Haley up in sticks and moving to Munster two years into a into a three-year contract extension. That I think that does help add another sort of dimension to this. And I think, I mean, look at this way. I think it's, it's very clear the reasons why Mike Haley has, has gone. Munster are a huge club. And I think... He would have been foolish not to at least have some interest in in moving to Thoman Park from from Sale, but obviously as well, this, this is his departure is tinged with his international ambitions. He's really struggling to get a look in uh, with Eddie Jones's England. He might have been told that his chances are going to be limited moving forward, and as a result, he's clearly been tapped up by the IRFU. Uh, there's a really interesting piece on on the IRFU scouting department and how they're bringing players to Ireland with the sort of understanding that they are going to be not fast track, but at least get a significant look into the international arena as as it were. But it is interesting obviously that Haley's is is the reasons for Haley leaving is is quite clearly because he wants to play for Ireland who he qualifies for through his grandparents. And as a result, Sale have made a very wise decision to cut ties with him in an amicable fashion because uh, this is something Diamond uh, to to his credit has always sort of preached and practiced is that if, if a player doesn't want to be there for whatever reason, it does make more sense to sort of set them free rather than keep them there against the will. And, and I think that is a huge part of Sale's announcement and handling of the Haley situation, why that's been so easy and, and so and so well managed to the to the club's credit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can't you can't begrudge Mike Haley no. for going either because I I totally understand why you would want to do it. As you say, Munster a massive club, totally different experience to being at Sale. Um, but also, I, I find it very strange that he's not considered for England, other than the fact that his form has dipped. But you, uh, it baffles me that England's full-back position is so uh, off-limits to so many players, um, because Alex Goode is another great full-back operating in the, pre- in the Premiership and just doesn't doesn't even get a hope. Um, and, you know, so England operate with Mike Brown and then, Cover fullbacks in Watson and Noel, who aren't fullbacks really, and, and Daly so, as well. But again, it seems like uh, England's backup options at that fifteen position are two players who've had their best Test rugby 
playing on the wings. I mean, I know, I think Eric yeah. Daly's a better club 15 than he is a winger, but I think the results speak for himself. And uh, 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 at the international level, Daly's been a superb winger. Absolutely. And he's, he's a Lions winger as well. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Like, he, he has played for the Lions. He's been chosen by the Lions management to play on the wing in a test series away in New Zealand. If that doesn't tell you that he is a winger, then I don't want those. But anyway, you know, that's, it's just, I, I think it's the right decision on Haley's part if his ambition is playing international rugby. You know, you look at Ireland's 15 jersey, that is up for grabs with Zebo moving away to France. Absolutely. Carney coming to the end of his career. So he's got a real opportunity to go and push for that jersey and clearly has been told by the RFU that if he is good enough, he will get the opportunity. Um, and Sale have handled it really well and come, you know, combated it with four great re-signings um, and probably, hopefully, some bigger signings in the future. And you look at that 15 position, we are losing Haley as an option, but we'll, I'm sure we'll sign someone at 15. There's no shortage of 15s going around. You know, that's not a position where we're struggling to find someone in the market. But also, we've got James O'Connor, who's a world-class 15. So, um, overall... I can't believe I'm saying this, but great result in the week for sale. Great result off the field for sale. Yeah, well done. Yeah, I think I'm, superb. I'm glad you mentioned Simon Zebo actually, because I think it is very, very important for, for perhaps people who, who aren't as, as sort of not. I, I, I'm not an expert in Irish rugby at all, but I think it is very important to mention that Haley signing with Munster, as orchestrated by the IRFU, is definitely linked to Zebo going to France. You know, Zebo leaves. The province of, of Munster and obviously Leaves is no longer eligible for uh, Ireland representation. So it's clear that Haley has been probably handpicked by the IRFU scouting department as the player to replace Zebo, both at prov- provincial level and potentially international level moving forward. So I think, I mean, it's, it, as you said, Alex, it's, it's, it's extremely hard to begrudge Haley for moving, especially when you consider the external factors that are, that are revolving around this move in that he's probably been picked as the successor for one of the most successful test players for, for, for Ireland in the last sort of five five years. Um, there's a couple of rumours floating around this week about, about Josh Charlie. This is, this is probably the last thing we touch upon today. Um, there's talk that Josh Charlie might be in, in line for, for, a re, uh, for a contract renewal. He might be the next next one to be snapped up. Do you think a potential Charlie re-signing would indicate that the future for Byron McGuigan itself might be 15. Because we've talked about Charlie being the odd man out with, with how well stock sales wing depth is. But do you think with the news that Mike Haley's moving on, you enter an open competition between James O'Connor and Byron McGuigan and that potentially frees up a, a, a roster spot, as it were, for, for Charlie? Um, I, I would suspect that McGuigan will will continue to be employed at wing because he's just really, really good there. But and I think what will probably end up happening is he'll start to cover fullback a bit more from next season. And yeah. it'll probably be an off-season decision to sort of just get him playing at fullback maybe in a pre-season game just so he can cover it. Um, I I hope it doesn't happen. I hope he isn't... I don't, I don't you know, I don't like the the sort of stifling of talent in one position. It's, it's one of my massive gripes with the way Sale treated Sam James and playing him at 10. I just don't think it's good for his career. Um, it's totally distracting from him developing his game at 13, which is where he should be playing. Um, so I would hope that we sign someone else. Maybe, you know, maybe a younger young player. I don't think we've got anyone really coming through from the academy at 15. 
This is where um, this is where we're missing James's input into the into the podcast because he'd be yeah, able to tell sure us the, a, the the next three fullbacks that are that are coming through the academy <laughs> and under 18s. There's a 15 year old, a 17 year old, and a 19 year old who are going to absolutely light up the world. But in the absence of James, I don't know who's coming through. So please let us know if you know of anyone at 15 in the Sale Academy who's going to come through next season. But I think what our aim should be is to sign. You know, maybe someone like Paolo Adogbu, where we pick them up from another academy where they're not wanted and you know, take them on. That was a, a sort of canny signing by us. But I hope that McGuigan stays on the wing and then I hope that Charnley is given more opportunity and I hope that we start passing the ball to our wingers more. There's another um, stat that Ben tweeted us this week. Um, South Parks have the worst carry totals for wingers in the league at um, 12.7 for every 80 minutes between the wingers. The third most total meet that was 2024 and tied second for tries, 20 between our wingers. Um, so, I I mean, we Charlie, bless him, he is a, he's a talented player. I think it'll be great if we give him the ball, but we expect so much of our wingers. There's such an emphasis on them to do amazing things when they get the ball because they get it so rarely. So, I hope that we do give him a deal and I hope that he continues to get better and better as a rugby union player and I do think he's got talent to really light on the game but we'll just have to wait and see um, but yeah I, I, I hope that McGuigan doesn't end up being a fullback. Well regardless of who re-signs and doesn't re-sign who joins the club and who leaves the club we'll be here with you every step of the way to offer our cutting edge analysis of the Irish rugby football union scouting tactics um, yes. We want to say a big thank you uh, to, to you, the listener, for joining us once again this week. Um, Sale don't play for three weeks now. The next game is going to be against Worcester three weeks on Friday, uh, three weeks on Saturday. Sorry, um, so we might be a bit limited in our uh, responses on Twitter. However, we have got some exciting stuff in the pipeline. We will still be here with you over the next few weeks, even even though the rugby's dried up a little bit. Uh, and we thank you, as always, for your continued support of the podcast and sending in your three-word reviews and all the other interactions we have for you guys on Twitter, Facebook and everywhere else every single week. Alex, is there anything else uh, you'd like to add before we sign off for good for this week? Um, it's become my catchphrase, but as always, thanks to Opta for the stats. Uh, absolutely spectacular. Uh, again, thanks to Ben for adding in a couple of other extra stats this week. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening, as always. And we've passed 900 followers on Twitter for the first time, um, which is just a little milestone to mention. So thanks to everyone for getting involved. I think we've discussed this in the past, that we feel like we've got a really good interaction with everyone who listens to the pod, and it doesn't feel like those 900 people are people we don't know. It feels like we, we could, you know, we could actually say that all of those are sale fans and... Yeah, thanks for listening. Hope you're still enjoying it. Feel free to tweet with any criticism, but don't be too nasty. Feel free to tweet with any compliments, because they're always welcome. Um, But yeah, I guess that's all from me. And that's all from me. We'll speak to you guys next week.